Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. We have dragged ourselves away from the telly where we sat all weekend. Yep, this week we're back to Pro 14 action and we're going to recap the end of the November Internationals. So much rugby. Yes, this is going to be officially called a holy crap. That was a lot of rugby. Yep, just as well we're not covering the premiership of the top 14 or this podcast would be seven and a half hours long. Oh my God. And less entertaining. Yeah, that's true. And it would have to talk about the English and the French leagues. (laughs) But as always, before we get into the rugby from the weekend, a quick look at the news. And the big news item, obviously enough, is that Ireland have had a pretty stellar night of the World Rugby Awards, picking up three huge awards. Team of the Year. Coach of the Year. And finally, a second Irish Player of the Year. That's it. So the Irish rugby team, to be expected. Joe Schmidt, who else could it be? But we were all terrified that Johnny Sexton would be robbed, but delighted to say he is finally walking home with a gong. It's been an incredible year for him, and I think the drop goal in France was worthy of this award alone, but Grand Slams, beating the All Blacks, series win in Australia, the guy has achieved everything it's possible to do in the last 12 months. Massive win, totally deserving. Take that, Bowden Barrett. Ah, <laughs> uh, leave him alone. At least he got to collect the award for Brody's try of the year. <laughs> I guess he did. Moving on, the IRFU scored a bit of an own goal this week after the, frankly, unacceptable homophobic attack on Gareth Thomas. You and I would have liked to have seen the IRFU getting all the players out in rainbow laces, but wasn't to be. Yeah, and their reason's a bit poor. Like, if we do one thing for one charity, we'll have to do all the things for all the charities. And I think a statement isn't a thing for a charity. It's solidarity with the rugby fraternity, not a statement about a charity. Agreed. Bit of an opportunity missed, but we'll move on, I guess. Yeah. And Bernard Jackman with a two-week ban reduced from four for moaning about referees. And the green with Ross Moriarty. And you're going down a dark path there. (laughs) Yeah, Ross Moriarty isn't exactly the shining lighthouse that you wanted to point your ship towards. But you know what? Didn't turn out too badly for the Dragons. No, and we'll get to that when we've gone through all the Pro 14 matches. That's right. And first up in a cold RDS on Friday night, Leinster versus the Ospreys. And what a beating was handed down and you were there in your Leinster jersey as a good Munster fan you are I will support my local sports team (laughs) unless they are playing Munster (laughs) and then I will support Munster I've been very clear on this um yeah I was at the match uh thank you to Sarka for getting me a ticket at the last minute but god was it cold and I looked cold on telly (laughs) yeah coming into this game Ospreys hadn't won in Ireland since 2016 and with the two lineups announced I thought they might actually be able to break that duct yeah Leinster a relatively young team I think seven academy players in the lineup whereas the Ospreys had their first choice halfback pairing James Hook James King a good smattering of like capped internationals through the side they did not look like it even if they did start the better the first 10 minutes and a few missed opportunities. If they score them, I do think it's a different game, but the young guns of Leinster really took the momentum back after that. They did, and weirdly it was a very old gun who came up with the first big break. Scott Fardy trundling through the line break in this enormous gap that was left for him. Slowest line break ever. And to be fair, ended up getting the pass away and Leinster went over for the try. And a lot of this result was built on Leinster just being in the right part of the field pretty much all of the time. Kieran Frawley had a really good game. He really did. If you were to ask people which out half was internationally capped with 110 club caps and the other 10 had four 
caps full stop for his club. You wouldn't guess Davies was a senior player out of the two. No, he went absolutely missing. And despite the fact that Frawley went down like a sack of potatoes from a vaguely high tackle, he was kicking the ball immaculately. His kicking off the tee was great. Out of hand was brilliant. He was just doing exactly what you need, particularly when you have got a big physical pack who front up and backs who may not be the most experienced. They've lost Joy Carvey, but bloody hell, they just have a forced player in every position. It's a production line, it's crazy. Having said that, at 17-0, the Ospreys thought they'd got in for a try, and from where I was sitting, I thought they got in for one as well. But a pretty soft call from the referee on crossing. Uh, you were obviously watching this on telly, what was your take? It was a soft call, but the Ospreys well could say, I think. He reaches out and just grabs the defender. There was no need, like... The line break had happened. They were clean through. The fact he just altered that slightly, he deserved for the try not to be scored. Well, speaking of 12s who got what they deserved, Noel Reed has to be the most frustrating player to watch in the Pro 14. He's clearly got a degree of talent, but he's just uncoachably silly sometimes. He had a great chip for one of the tries, some really nice passes, but in defence, his reads were just silly. And his decision making in general is odd. Yeah, but this game, even though there was a huge scoreline, like 52 points to 7 in the end, it never felt like that. It didn't feel like a procession. And the game really flagged, certainly by the time you got to about 65, 70 minutes. I think everybody was just looking for the game to end. And it's really bad when coaches in pitside interviews actually say it. <laughs> yeah, I heard about that afterwards, actually. Brad Davis, what are you doing? You just don't say those things. But even still, you never see a 10 get the ball when you're that far behind and just boot it into touch. Normally they'll play on to try and get another score for pride's sake, but Sam Davies just wanted to be on the bus home. Yeah, no, that it just really wasn't good enough. And Osprey's performance on a whole wasn't good enough here. Well, I think the big standout for me, and I texted you this during the game, that is the worst line-out I have ever seen in professional rugby. And the hooker got taken off at half-time and kind of shored it up, but not very much. No, and don't get me wrong, Leinster have a good line-out and Ross Maloney knows what he's doing. There's a couple of players in there who are of a good Pro 14 standard. But the Ospreys shouldn't have been as bad as they were. Like I think they lost every line-out or all bar one or two. Yeah, you can say whatever you want about the Leinster's depth here, but what Ospreys were they playing? I'd say most under-18 teams would have beaten Ospreys on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, you could put out a senior cup team and see how they get on. Exactly. But part of it is this cultural thing within Leinster. Their defence and the patterns that they play go down through the first string team to the second string team to the third string team. So regardless of who slots up, they're still playing the same type of rugby. And part of that means that their set piece is pretty reliable, although their scrum was a little bit poor from the kickoff here. It started poor, but... My God, did they work on it and they held their own by the end of the match. One advantage that Leinster seemed to have as well, they were getting a lot of 50-50 calls, which kind of happens when a referee has made up their mind who the better team is on the night. Like They're getting treated like champions and they're getting a lot, a lot of room to manoeuvre from refs. Yeah, that is tough. But in all fairness, the ref had nothing to do with Osprey's performance. <laughs> he did not. Another team that had a pretty forgettable performance, Cardiff visited Glasgow and went down 40 points to 15. Glasgow just a little bit too strong and a couple of their internationals coming back straight into the starting lineup. Which is mad, especially considering the internationals aren't over. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't expect to see Peter Horn and Tommy Seymour starting and you could tell they had just come off a good run of international form. So despite the fact that Cardiff got the first points, 
Glasgow were just always going to be able to up the tempo and get over for tries almost whenever they wanted. Their ability to play heads-up rugby is just incredible. The support lines they run anytime someone makes a half break is just unreal. And I was watching that Glasgow match and then I was kind of projecting onto everyone else across the weekend. I'm like, why aren't you on the shoulder? Why aren't people in the right position? But watching a Glasgow match, you kind of see how hard that is to do constantly. Yeah, but that's the level that Glasgow hold themselves to. They are not running away with Conference A for no reason. They are a quality team, and that's evidenced by the standard of tries that they scored, but equally the fact that they wrapped up the try bonus point by half-time. And while defending their line on half-time, Lacey had actually warned them after two penalties that the next one was going to be a card. Up they get, steal the line out, and get into half-time ahead. Like, they never let Cardiff back into this game proper. No, and despite the fact that their work rate did improve, there was a bit of TMO mess aroundery, which is a bit of a theme for this weekend. Cardiff mauled over and got the try. The other problem, though, as well, Jared Evans is as likely to throw the ball to the opposition as he is to his own team. He just needs to be a little bit less wild. Yeah, and that happened just as he was starting to stamp his authority on the match. One other thing worth pointing out, Marawalu, what a game did he have? Two tries. On his 100th cap. And he's a player who has been moved around a lot. He's a winger. He's a scrum half. He was on fire. He was playing like a man going out to have fun on his 100th cap. Absolutely. Nick Williams as well in the back row for Cardiff was one of the best things that they were doing. And Ollie Robinson looked good as well. Yeah, and Thayer was there thereabouts with himself and Williams having seven turnovers at rock time between them. Yeah, I think part of the challenge for Cardiff, they just couldn't get any space to work. That Glasgow line speed was so oppressive. It was, but it doesn't help that they kept turning over possession any time they got into the Glasgow 22 with kicks, with knock-ons, with rips. These are Challenge Cup winners. They should be playing to a better standard than this. Yeah, and the decision-making really didn't make them look like champions. They looked poor. They looked off the pace. And speaking of which, apparently use it has now become a too complicated a call. We've got start using it, continue using it, complete using it. Like, ref communication's got to be better from Lacey. And I, when he when he said I am awarding a PK, I'm like, no, you, no, you're, you're, you're not a thing, Johnny. And you're no, and you're not cool enough to start abbreviating penalty. <laughs> Stop trying to make PK happen. Oh man, the final game on Friday, I didn't get to watch. I read up a few things about it, but Scarlets hosted Ulster, and it read like it was quite an impressive twenty nine to twelve points win. It really wasn't though. Like Ulster were in this game and very competitive up until the thirty fifth minute. And then they just went completely to sleep. This this has happened a couple of times this season. Ulster seemed to lack the composure and the concentration either side of halftime. Admittedly, they've got a lot of missing leaders. They've no Henderson, no Best, no Addison managing their back line. But you're still expecting them to be better than this. And if you're going to concede two tries between minute 35 and 40, you're going to be off to a bad start particularly when you come out and concede another try in the first 10 minutes of the second half. But that's just Scarlets taking their chances. Would the Scarlets pack any better than we've seen this season? They were. They weren't playing against the best Ulster side, but they were dominant in the tackle, which I think was important. And they were also able to maul over and drive over close to the line. Kind of two of Scarlet's tries were narrow enough, and then two of them were their usual wider, wider balls. Tom Pridey ran over for their bonus point try, and just raw physicality. He's a big winger, and he ended up in a one-on-one against Dave Shanahan, who he brushed off pretty easily. He's a very slight scrum half, and that's the first time that Ulster backline have played together. Pretty much, yeah. And you look at the tries that they scored, and there was some impressive stuff in it. Like, Shanahan got a try in the first half when Henry Spate actually made a line break. 
and offloaded it. And then Johnny Stewart off. Just a bit of defensive confusion from the Scarlet Scott. What was really a consolation try at that point. I think Ulster will be disappointed in taking nothing from this game. You'd think a bonus point would have been the minimum expectation. Particularly as that was an in-conference fixture. This could be important when it comes down to playoffs. You can't afford to be getting zeros from these games. Then on Saturday there was the lone Pro 14 match in the morning. The warm-up. <laughs> and unfortunately the warm-up that wasn't televised live. So we had to go and find it in the middle of the night. Cheetahs hosted Benetton in the very warm South Africa. Yeah, so water breaks and everything on the 20-minute mark. But you know what? 31 points to 25, but this really could have gone either way. I know, and Benetton were really off to a quick start. They were, and you know what? A couple of really nice offloads in the build-up to that try. But what a howler of a try to concede to the Cheetahs immediately afterwards. Simple line-out ball on their 22, and their number 7 was just completely asleep. He would have actually been better off ball-watching because... He would have been in the right place to make the tackle. He was just watching the man he was told to mark and yep. just followed him and left the biggest hole ever in the fence. But it wasn't even a scissors move. It was just that Lee ran in behind the 10 into about 200 feet of space over for a try. Nobody touched him. And it's not like he needed to be. I know Schumann's quite impressive, but he really wasn't having the best day at the office by that stage. Two dropouts straight into touch. Yeah, which led to points for Benetton on both occasions. Then we're at 20 minutes and there's a water break, which I always find really weird. I remember watching the Churchill Cup a couple of years ago in Canada and it was just like, why are we having quarters in this sport? Well, it seemed that Cheetahs needed it. The first scrum after that water break, they milled Benetton. Oh, it was like a steamroller. They just drove them all the way back. Which is really weird because the Benetton forwards were winning the tight exchanges. And what was interesting, I think, both of these teams looked like they have the potential to play fast, exciting, running rugby with offloads. But it looked like both of them were trying to play boring Northern Hemisphere, stuff it up the jumper rugby. Almost like this was a training game for both of them to try and figure out how to beat the Irish provinces. <laughs> Look, there was some mad stuff in this game. But the thing that stands out is the late hit on Max Wahane before half time and not getting a penalty. That was unbelievable because whatever about the ref deciding that your man didn't change his line on the replay it was pretty obvious that he stuck his ass out to knock Max Wane over and even a cursory look at the replay would have given that information which is weird because the assistant referee on the far side and this happens so rarely it's actually worth calling out was dead in line for a forward pass called it straight away no need for a TMO no refer up that was forward next move on so good to see the AR doing his job Dear international refs from the international games, that is something they could have learned from this weekend. In the second half, you just saw the Cheetahs tend to up their game a little bit. But again, Benetton were winning this on 70 minutes. And then squad depth starts to tell. Yeah, you're right. Once the bench came on, there was a bit less physicality for Benetton. They weren't as cohesive and just Cheetahs were able to pick holes and get their scores. Cheetahs finished quite well, managing to get 10 points in the last 10 minutes to win the game. You know what, at this point in the season... They're not playing like a team that lost five of their starting 15 at the end of last year. No, but mirroring last season, this is when they start kicking into gear and actually figuring out what they're about and making everything stick. Yeah, I do still want to see some improvements from them. Like Their decision-making has to be better. They need to take three points when it's on offer. And composure, they're just not quite able to make that last pass stick. They would have got a lot more points from this game if they had. And what's really frustrating to see is their tackle technique is just all over the shop. Yeah, they don't know if they're going high or low. There's lots of scrag tackling. 
and particularly when there was such a good example in this game, Monte Ioanni was chopping cheetahs in half. His tackle highlight reel from this match will be on repeat. In general, Benetton's execution was quite good. It's a shame they didn't use some of the resources that they have. There seemed to be pretty limited creativity and not a lot of ideas. Most of their scores came from Cheetah's mistakes or just Cheetah's penalties being conceded. Having said that, you are looking at a Benetton team with no Tabaldi, no Allen, and no Morisi. Like, that's your starting 9, 10, 12. Yeah, it's huge. Ian McKinley's good, but he just doesn't vary up his game enough at 10. A little bit too predictable. Yeah. And speaking of predictable, the first game of Sunday was the Southern Kings versus Connacht. 14 points to 31, bonus point on the road. God, you tried not to get this. <laughs> I don't think any, no one tried to win this match. This was not an enjoyable game to watch for me. And I had I was invested in it. Yeah. You weren't. And you were sitting next to me going, how much can I annoy Porik during this match? <laughs> this was one of these ones that had I fallen asleep and woken up 20 minutes later, I wouldn't have missed a whole lot. Like, this is always a tough challenge, though, particularly for Connacht. You go down, you win, you get a bonus point. So what? It's the Southern Kings. You go down and you get beaten and you've been embarrassed. Having said that, you do want to see the only good outcome for this for Connacht, which is go down, play at 100%, and play them off the park. Demonstrate that you are a team that is a level above. And they didn't do that today. And given the performance level, it's surprising that we were 20 points ahead at one stage. I think that was more about your ability to shut down the King's attack than it was to score a lot of runaway points. To be fair, there was some good defending from the team. Jared Butler made a ton of tackles, even if he did knock on literally every pass he was given and Keen Kelleher put in a couple of big hits as well it's very rare you see a winger stop a prop so convincingly we've spoken before his defending isn't great it's not his ability to tackle it's just a positional awareness whereas poor Matt Healy was getting bumped off players left right and centre but he's always in the right position to get run over look, yay useful <laughs> But look, our pack fronted up and the subs really made a difference. Thornbury came on and really put himself about and Boyle showed why there's so much talk about him. Not only is his performance really, really good, but you can always see him talking. He's a leader at 20. Yeah, McCartney made a difference as well when he came on for Delahunt. He just seemed to shore up the ball a little bit more. But in general, your scrum was dominant as well. Like, you won seven penalties off that, some of which you even deserved. Clancy had his mind made up very early on scrum dominance. We were weaker when Buckley went off. It was very clear to see that Kings started to even up the scrums. But Clancy, from the first half, was like, no, no, their scrum's better. No matter what's going on, come up, they're in the right. And we saw that at the end of the first half, where we had to sit through six and a half minutes of scrummaging, leading to a yellow card and a penalty try, and me going and rinsing my eyes out in the sink. It should never have taken that long. Like, that's just fussy for the sake of fussiness. Yeah. Although, the big difference for the Kings in the second half they were actually able to get their hands on the ball, which was useful. Yeah. And for King's perspective, they gave away a lot less penalties for like random indiscipline and yeah. stupidity. Yes, their penalty count will be very high. But remember, seven of them were from the scrum. Yeah. So that's almost half their penalties. It is. Both teams lacked a little bit of composure, though. Good passes, good line breaks, but not making the last pass stick. And you can't blame conditions for that when you're playing down there. No, you really can't. But it was really good to see the Kings play until the 80th minute. 
Sam Davies can take a few notes from that. He can. Um, realistically, what I want to see from Connacht, and they'll need to next week against the Cheetahs, is a higher level of performance. You can't expect to go out against teams like this and not give it 100%. They were lucky that the standard of the team was such that they only needed 80% to beat these guys. That's not always going to be the case. And it may not have been the case today if a couple of passes went differently. Yeah, and like you were saying before the international break, we're not ruthless enough. We should really be putting teams away when we're in the ascendancy. If Connacht wanted to, and if they were interested, and if they were at the level of intensity required, you could have put seven or eight tries past these guys today. Yeah, we could have. And Munster could have done the exact same thing in their match when they played Zebra away. They won 32-7, but this was not a good game. No, and again, it's a case of mission accomplished. Got the bonus point away. But the difference here for me is that Munster were playing, missing a lot of frontline players. So I'm actually happy enough with this as a result versus Connacht, where a lot of your first team were there. (laughs) No, you're dead right. And this game was scrappy from start to finish. And we've played on better pitches. Oh, man. In like the Connacht third division juniors. This looked like it was being played in a plowed field next to a stadium. It was really bad. And added to the conditions, which were very greasy. It was a poor match. It was. Everybody was a little bit flat. The decision-making wasn't great. But I think when you look at it, you look at a couple of players from Munster that put their hands up. Arno Botha was unrelentingly physical. Like, the guy is a beast. Bill Johnston looked good as well. And he's so young, but there's a lot of potential. And as a Munster fan, I'm really interested to see what happens at the end of this season with contracts. I want to see us keep Bill Johnston. I'm less attached to some of our other tens. When he went off, Munster didn't look as good. I'll be perfectly honest. Tyler didn't really pull the strings at 10, but he won. Like At the end of the day, you're just looking at guys like Witchley having good performances, O'Byrne having a good performance, Murray coming on and not needing attention at any point, <laughs> Farrell yeah. coming on, not needing attention at any point. Oliver coming on. Like This is probably a big game more for the players who are now back in the frame for selection than it was for the performances on the day. You're effectively saying Munster had three new signings come in. But for me, the worries when you have this second string team on, there's a lot of huff and puff about Munster's play, not creating a lot. Probably Lineout being the exception to that, where it appears that the spirit of Peter O'Mahony lives on through our team. Like, our Lineout was very solid. And on their ball as well. Yeah, it really was. Munster got what they needed from this, but we really did expect more from Zebra, especially at home. Yeah, and I guess part of that is the depleted side with the internationals, still a lot of their players away. But you just have to say they didn't really respect the ball enough. They weren't patient. They didn't build up and get their chances. Yet, they played with the ball in hand, but they didn't seem to be able to generate enough line breaks. And then inevitably, they would break down and the ball would get knocked on. And added to that, they're getting stripped and just really loose passing. I expect more, and I'd say Bradley especially would expect more. He's a coach who really puts an emphasis on hanging onto the ball and building possession. That wasn't what he saw from his team today. And it really didn't help that their kicking was just so poor. From both sides, actually. Neither team had a great day on the boot. But again, you look at the teams here. Carberry comes back in for Munster. Canna comes back in for Zebre. And these are two different operations. And I think we'll see improved performances for both of them next week. As a warm-up to the European matches, they'll both need better performances. Yeah. Speaking of better performances, you really enjoyed the next game. For me, this is the best game of today, and, and I'm as surprised as anyone else, especially given the fact that I had skin in the game in the Connacht match. Yeah, Dragons getting a win against Edinburgh, 18 points to 12. What a result. Yeah, and they were worth it. Like, they genuinely were, and they came out with, and they were worth the first score of the game as well. Ollie Griffiths, 
man the match by the way and he had a man the match performance he had a line break at halfway that brought them into the 22 and from there it was just almost inevitable that they were going to get a score you'd have to think dragons coming into this would have identified edinburgh just from an injury perspective and international duty as being a severely weakened side but still a lot of starting players there and thereabouts missing 20 players I don't think he can train effectively. Yeah, it's disruptive for sure, but you still have your first choice 10, you still have a decent smattering of your pack. This is not a result that Edinburgh will have expected, and Richard Cockerell will uh, be displeased. We're going to create this image of Richard Cockerell being like Darth Vader and killing people when he's not happy. <laughs> Doing the forced <laughs> chokehold on them. The problem for Cockerell will be that it took 10 points on the board before Edinburgh woke up in any way, shape or form, and they took control of the rest of the half. But their decision-making was poor. There are so many times they could have gone for the post and didn't. Well, how many times do we see that scoreboard pressure? Once you're starting to chase a game, you do tend to lose the head. And they just left too many points out there. You can't turn down kickable shots at goal. And if you do eventually get over the try line, which they did just in the stroke of half time, you can't afford to miss the conversion. That's the difference between going in three points behind and five points behind. And psychologically, it's another missed chance. They might have been happier going in at halftime because of that score. And the Dragons management, or whoever was left in the stadium at that stage. (laughs) Whoever wasn't sacked or banned this week. Decided to just send out the team after a few words. And they were waiting for Edinburgh to come back out. Weird. It could have been Cockrell holding in the Edinburgh team as well. Yeah, maybe. Well, you know what though? Edinburgh did increase their work rate in the second half. But they met a very, very fierce opposition from the Dragons. They really wanted to go for this. Yeah, and I think they smelt blood, or they definitely smelt a win. And they got the first try of the half. And from there, as much as I did think Edinburgh could get back into this game, I thought the writing was on the wall. Which is such a nice thing to be able to say. Like, don't get me wrong, I rag on the Dragons a lot. But it's important that they can get results like this. We've been saying all year, we're waiting for them to come together. We're waiting for them to get their heads above water. This could be the performance that starts to galvanise them. And there were a few individuals that were really showing their worth. Like I said, Ollie Griffiths was incredible. Amos had some really nice touches of the ball, some really good kicks. And it's important that they start to shine. These guys will be looking for international caps. And what a grandstand finish as well. Like end-to-end stuff. 25 phases they hold Edinburgh out and then turn over the ball. That would have been a great finish. But then you have to remember what happened beforehand. They had a penalty to win the game outright with three minutes to go that Tovey misses. And then Griffiths, as good as he was playing, gives away a needless penalty for taking out the nine. Yeah, not ideal. But you know what? They've tightened up. This is their best game this season. And despite a dominant Edinburgh scrum, Dragons just had too much for them. And Edinburgh still haven't won a game away from home this season. Oh, not great. No. And the thing is with Edinburgh, they didn't do much wrong, which is really weird when when you've lost a game. But it was small things like that penalty they got in the last minute. The kick to touch should have been into the five metres, yeah. not near the 22. They just weren't getting enough from their kicks to touch. And Well, you know what? Not a perfect performance from the Dragons either. They did look a little bit desperate to win, because they were, but they just need to be a little bit more patient. We would expect them to kick on from this and have a little bit more confidence next week. I'm certainly looking forward to that game. That win gets the Dragons off the bottom of Conference B. Yeah, a couple of points ahead of the Kings. Obviously, the top of the Conference B standings look pretty similar to last year. Leinster at the top on 39 points. Scarlet's on 29. Bit of a gap there. And Ulster and Edinburgh on 25 and 22 behind them, with Benetton trailing a little bit. It's a shame to see Benetton trailing like that because they have so much promise. Promise doesn't get you match points. Only three wins this year. Yeah, just like Zebra here at the bottom of Conference A. 
yeah, Cheetah's finally picking up a win, so they're lifted a little bit above Zebre. Go to the top of the conference, similar story again. Glasgow, 37 points right at the top. Munster behind them on 29. Right on their tails, though. Connacht with 26 points. And with Ospreys and Cardiff on 23 and 22, respectively, the middle of Conference A is tight. That's just one match between 3, 4 and 5, and a lot of rugby yet to be played this year. But interesting to see how it's shaping up. Connacht riding a lot higher. You mustn't be happy. It's two matches between 2 and 5. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously... As we said, the Pro 14 wasn't the only rugby this weekend. We did have an awful lot of internationals. Yeah, there were so many games, and we can't talk about them all and into as much depth as we'd like, otherwise we'd be here till next week. <laughs> yeah. I guess let's look at the matches that are, I suppose, of the most interest in terms of the home nations. Scotland and Argentina up first. And Scotland coming out 14 points to 9, and really, that's the most important positive that they'll take out of this game, because it was a pretty diabolical match. In poor conditions. And to be honest, if Argentina got all their kicks, they would have won this match. Yeah, they were incredibly wasteful, to be honest. Sanchez just appeared to be on one of his days off, where nothing that he was doing was coming off. He was missing kicks. He was trying to force the play. It's not what you need when you're playing in Scotland in rubbish conditions. He's probably the worst 10 they could have had on the pitch for that. And speaking of bad 10s, the difference... In Scotland, when Hastings went off and Russell moved to 10, was a slight improvement. (laughs) Slight might be an understatement. The thing with Russell at 12 rather than 10 is that it just weakens two positions. He's not capable of the direct running that Peter Horne was doing last week that was so effective for Scotland. I mean, he's a better 12 than Hugh Jones, but that's because Hugh Jones is only able to play 13. That's (laughs) it. And Hastings is good, but he's just not there yet. They're obviously going to look better with Russell at 10, taking his club form to international level, as he has done throughout the November series. And on their series as a whole, they won two out of four. But that loss to South Africa really will stick. It will. They'll be disappointed. I think if you come back and Scotland had a three out of four result and they've knocked over South Africa, that's a really, really good autumn. As it is, it's pretty much a passing grade. Up next, England hosted Australia. And... England like controversy these days, don't they? Oh, man. This ended up being a much more emphatic result than perhaps we thought it was going to be. 37 points to 18 doesn't actually tell the story of this game. No, and this was a typical England performance. Just pressure, pressure, pressure. They don't create much. They don't, but the problem was that Australia were making enough mistakes to let them into the game. Again, talk about 10s and 12s. Why is Bernard Foley playing 12? He doesn't play 12 at club level, he doesn't play 12 anywhere, and arguably the player you've got playing 10, Matt Tamua, has played 12. It's mental. I just think that Cheka is trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my fly half at the World Cup? And everything else is taking a backseat. From backseats to back rows, Australia missed Pocock. They did, and particularly given that Sam Underhill just continues to perform at open side, Hooper is good, Dempsey is good, but Pocock is the Rolls Royce of that Australian back row. He enables them to slow down the breakdown. Without that, England were just able to play however they wanted. And as much as Flau can create whatever he wants from wherever he wants, the back three for Australia were a bit mismatched. Hale Petty looked all out of sorts on the wing. Yeah, he's he's someone that Australia have used on the wing or at full back, and he and Flau just seem to flip in terms of who gets a go with the jersey. I tell you who is a proper out-and-out winger, though. Joe Cockenasiga, the Bath winger for England. What a start he's having to his international career. He's scoring tries for fun. And running over players for more fun. Well, speaking of people running over people, I was delighted to see another 
terrible no-arms tackle from Owen Farrell ended up with him getting beamed backwards by Rada. It's a shame that they didn't get the penalty try for that, or the referee decided to have another look at it in any way, shape, or form. It's a bit strange, and whatever about his tackle technique having uh, hints of illegality, it's also pretty ineffective a lot of the time. Like, he comes in with his body position so high up, he has to put so much force in, and maybe he just wants to be this hard-tackling 10. Maybe it's a Johnny Wilkinson fandom thing, but you know what? Someone's got to sort this out sooner or later. We'll lend you Andy for a weekend to teach you how to tackle. No, we'll, we, no we won't. We told... Well, no, we won't, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> you have to try and convince your dad to teach you how to tackle. That's your only job. But look, overall in November, I don't think English fans should be overly happy with what they've seen. Not really. One really good performance against New Zealand in a game that they lost, they were just about able to get the win against South Africa. Let's not talk about that. Dubious, 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 dubious. And then struggled in the first half against Japan, who were a tier two nation, and then beat a terrible Australia side. This is not vintage stuff, England. This is not the stuff that World Cup dreams are made of. You're not wrong, but Wales had a November series that World Cup dreams are made of. Absolutely. And again, another incredible result for them. This time beating South Africa 20 points to 11. Not the greatest of games, not the most entertaining of games. But Wales will not care. Four games out of four. A lot of new players given opportunities. A proper points ramp up against Tonga. This is exactly what the doctor ordered for this Wales team. And if you look at the South Africa game, Anscombe had a really good game at 10. He must be giving Gatland a headache. He has to be breathing down Bigger's neck for that 10 jersey. And right behind Anscombe and Bigger, you've got Patchell. And at the moment, Priestland is potentially going to come into that conversation as well. Wales seem to have like an embarrassment of riches at out half. And back row is another area they've been strong. They'll be really disappointed with that Ellis Jenkins injury. Yeah, that was gutting just to the final whistle. He's had such a good November series as well. And it doesn't help Cardiff's chances. He's so important for them. But another player who's coming back into form. And it's great and terrifying to see how good George North looks. How physical he's been. He just imposes himself on these type of games. It's as if playing in a league that lets him rest every now and again suits him. Yeah. I'll tell you who's going to need a rest is a lot of those South African players. They do look tired after a long season. One guy who doesn't though, Cheslin Colby. He's like the South African Jordan Larmore. He just seems to be able to step and create space out of nowhere. Or Jordan Larmore's the Irish Cheslin Colby. <laughs> Six of one. Look, uh, no, I think a lot of the South African players end of a long Super Rugby season will be looking forward to taking some time off. Although I believe a number of them are staying up in the Northern Hemisphere for the Barbarians game next weekend. That should be fun. Yeah, bit of crack. Do you know what wasn't fun though? The Ireland USA match. Well, I tell you, it was kind of scary for the first while. I mean, fifty-seven points to fourteen, a final score, excellent. But contrast that to the first twenty minutes where we were basically level pegging. Not great. It was weirdly evenly matched. It was. And in a lot of ways, this game was supposed to be the who else should I be thinking of for my World Cup starting 23? Not a lot of hands put up. No. And if you look across the team, there are three or four players that have been most talked about. So you're talking Cooney, Addison, Byrne. Did they do enough to make themselves a part of the 23? So Cooney didn't. And like that's the one I'm the most disappointed about. I'm a huge fan of John Cooney. But was he better than Marmion? No. Was he better than Luke McGrath? Maybe, but not massively. And you know with Joe, if you're going to try and shift an incumbent, you've got to play them off the park and into the next time zone. 
I thought Tigburn was good. He was industrious. He demonstrated the same type of performance that he has done since he started playing with Ireland. But he just needs a bit more club form, I think. He's going to have to rely on that. He has one problem, though. He's not vying with Henderson or Toner for a 23 spot. They're the line-out guys. He's going up against Ryan. Which he's never going to do. For me, the jersey Byrne is going after is number 19, and it's Hendo. Like, if he can get Henderson out of that, it means that Toner's going to have to play 80 minutes, or Byrne's going to have to call the line-out. That's a possibility. We're just going to have to see what happens at club level. And as for Addison, he wasn't actually as good as he was against Argentina. He looked like he was trying to win the match every time he had the ball. That's not a Joe way. I think Joe would have been happier to see him hit the systems and be really sharp in his execution. And he just wasn't. Well, just look at the way that Ringrose played. He wasn't necessarily the standout performer. He wasn't doing everything. A couple of moments of magic. But he's such a team player. That wasn't how I perceived Addison anyway. The other big battle was who else is going to get on the plane from a tight head prop perspective. It's pretty clear that Joe wants Porter and Furlong. But is it going to be Beelham or Ryan? Bit of a 50-50? Personally, I think Beelham offers more around the pitch. And I think that might go in his favour. It might. The thing is, Ryan is capable of slotting in on the loose head as well. So you just don't know how this is going to pan out. Five or six props. Yeah, probably. But you know what? We're doing the USA a disservice. They were very physical. And what I think they did is they fronted up in a big way. They're just a little bit naive yet. And that will come with experience the more times they play top-level opposition. And the stronger their league gets. Like, they have the foundation blocks now to really push on. And if that juggernaut actually takes off... world, God help us all. Michael Bay will be making movies about it for years to come. <laughs> well, you know what? We do have an opportunity to see some of the USA players in the new year. The New England Free Jacks will be touring Ireland, and we have those games against the provincial sides. Be good to keep an eye out for that. It really will. And at the end of the day, we did the job. We got the win. Yeah, and that's four from four. Same as Wales in the autumn. Except ours has a big win over the All Blacks in there. Which has really cemented our position as rugby leaders. Yeah, we're right at the top of our game right now. There was a heap of other results this weekend as well. Yeah, and some of them quite significant. So the Repechage, which is the last point to qualify for the Rugby World Cup, wrapped up this weekend. Germany beat Kenya 43 points to 6. They did everything they could. Unfortunately, they just didn't pick up enough points. And Canada got through to the last World Cup spot by beating Hong Kong 27 points to 10. In a surprise result, Romania lost at home to Uruguay 20 points to 27. Well, we say at home. This one was played in King's Home, I think. Oh, yeah. What wasn't a surprise, though, Georgia beating Tonga 20 points to 19. No, and that's important given the mixed fortunes they had this autumn. Like, that Italy result will have hurt them. Japan were given quite a scare up next. They did beat Russia 32 points to 27, but Russia were in the lead for a lot of that game. The gap might be closing. Do you know what gap isn't closing? Italy and New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, any team that goes out against New Zealand the week after they lose is going to get hurt. 66 points to 3. And to be honest, what was disappointing for me is New Zealand didn't look like they have to try very hard for any of those points. No, they seem to get line breaks whenever they kind of felt like it, which is not what you want as an Italian coach at all. And as good as the clubs are doing and the structures seem to be going into place, that isn't really transferring to the international stage yet. We'll have to see what they come out with in the Six Nations, but right now, Conor O'Shea has got to be in a slightly uncomfortable position. Also, Spain got beaten by Samoa, 10 points to 28. Yeah, Spain are starting to make inroads in the Sevens side, but they just haven't hit that 15s game yet. And another team with a real Sevens pedigree, but what a result for their 15s. Fiji, in France, win 
21 points to 14. What a historic result. And as much as we will rightfully talk about us beating the All Blacks, this, for me, is actually a bigger win. They are now 8th in the world. If you haven't seen it, look for the video of them post-match chanting. It's just Not incredible. Even just look at the final whistle. Look at the emotion on their faces. This result meant everything to Fiji. And we, we were watching all the matches together this weekend, and that was something we are just going to have on the background. We watched that last 20 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes. Edge of our seats. It was compelling stuff. And I think for France, this is a real time that they're going to have to stop and take a look at themselves. This is not a result that if you're a French rugby fan is acceptable. You have to be putting these guys away. These are players who are not playing in top tier leagues. They're being paid like a pittance of match fees. This is pros against semi-pros. That's a bit harsh. A lot of those Fijians will play against the French. They There's an extra added bonus for them winning that game. I guess if they've got to go back to their top 14 sides on Monday with, uh, with that win in their pocket, they'll be pretty happy. And that was it for the men's game this weekend. But there were women's internationals as well. There were. Not satisfied with the 212 fixtures we have so far. There was two big games in the women's rugby. Wales beaten at home by Canada, 21 points to 38. Didn't catch this one, but that's a great result for the Canadians, particularly given the rough outing that they had against England. And speaking of England, they continued their impressive form by beating Ireland 37 points to 15. Yeah, this was probably the result that we expected. That England team is top quality, and you're talking about players who are in essentially a professional setup, even though they're not pros, playing against an Ireland team that, you know, flew over the morning of the match. There was just occasions where the level of fitness wasn't there, the level of physicality wasn't there, the level of coaching wasn't there. Actually, when you look at the gap in the setup between these two sides, that's not a bad result for Ireland, particularly given how well they fought back into the game. Yeah, and we took our tries and our opportunities when we got them. But the problem is, it's the issues we have in our game, they shouldn't have been there. It's body position stuff, it's handling And these are things that the coaching team will have to work on, especially coming into the Six Nations. They will, and they're up against it, given that it's still not a full-time coaching setup. Like, in reality, how much time are the Ireland women's coaching team going to have with the squad between now and the Six Nations? A couple of camps? A couple of weekends? It's a big ask, and if we're going to be competitive in this year's Six Nations, which I know is the target, they've got to try and look at what systems can we put in place to achieve that. It's not all doom and gloom, though. Baven Parsons came on for her second cap, and she is a star for the future for Ireland. She is, and there was a lot of players who put their hands up and performed very well. Like Claire Malloy continues to be just relentlessly physical. Senenopu had a couple of nice moments, like a couple of lovely deft passes, which is great. Emer Considine is turning into a real player as well. Yeah, but that's all individuals. The systems just aren't working. Lots of room to improve. Six Nations will be a goal. Yep, we will be there in Donnybrook. That's for sure. And we now move to our second row top performer and clown of the round. And Porik, I picked a top performer, if I may. You can carry on and (laughs) I'm going to time you because you you tend to go on a bit with these. I do. Look, I'll be brief because to be honest, we looked at all of the games through the weekend. There were a lot of games and it was tough to pick out one standout individual But for me, Andrew Conway played an absolute blinder. His running lines, his support play, and just his raw, unmitigated finishing power. Really good game. Great hat trick. 
got man of the match, but probably the standout player across the 4,000 games this weekend. Yeah, for me, if he can replicate that performance more for Joe, he's nailed on for a 23 jersey for Ireland. Absolutely. What about you, Porrick? Have you picked a clown of the round? I have, and I actually feel bad picking out one player for what this clown of the round is, because in the Zebra Munster match, we talked about the atrocious pitch. Yep. And that led directly to a Munster try. <laughs> okay. The ball that didn't bounce up because it got bogged down the ground, and then the inverted commas pass that didn't make the receiver, that Rona Manny was able to just dot on the line. Yeah, it, it looked pretty nonsensical what was going on there like from a nothing kick through two zebra players in the backfield and the ploughed field that it was in conspired to throw the ball all over the place and a simple try for Munster in the end that put the bonus point on it's a try that broke zebra's back at that stage yeah it, it just meant that Munster having scored two tries on about 73 minutes all of a sudden now they're chasing a bonus not great no pretty clowny <laughs> very clowny well, that's what it's for. <laughs> <laughs> look, let's look forward to next week and there's less rugby. Which is the first time I've ever been pleased about that, but I think I might be suffering from fatigue. <laughs> now I know what the French players feel like. <laughs> so next week with Friday Night Fixtures, Munster versus Edinburgh, short turnaround for them. That's going to be a tough ask. And Ospreys against Zebre, who really, they've got to be better than this week, don't they? They have to be. On Saturday then, Ulster host Cardiff. They need to be better as well. They do. And Connacht continue their South African adventure against the Cheetahs. I think Connacht have a good chance. We do, but we need to, running theme, be better. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully the Dragons can continue a bit of their form from this game. They play host to Leinster later on Saturday afternoon, and that's going to be a tough fixture. It really is. At the same time, the box office fixture, internationals back or not, Glasgow host Scarlets. That's a massive game. Like last year's semi-final in the Pro 14, both of these teams with bonus point wins this week, they will want to continue that run of form. They will. And also at the same time, because three games kicking off at once is just all the fun we want. Southern Kings host Benetton. They do. And the Italians will be looking to pick themselves up and get a result here. You'd have to think they'll come away with at least one win from their South African voyage. Hopefully, for them. Absolutely. And that's us for this week, Paul. It is, finally. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us through all of that. We'll be back next week to discuss only round 10 of the Pro 14. There will be seven games, no more, no less. (laughs) Don't forget, we're available on all the podcast apps. That's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever one you use, we're on it. That's it. And get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash the second row. Or Instagram and Twitter, where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. Tell us who your clown of the round is. You might find them before we do. Please do. Please, please do. So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care. Take care.